Hello, and welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast, a podcast for Christians, Mormons, ex-Mormons, and other Book of Mormon believers, or anyone questioning their faith or the church, with an emphasis on seeking the truth wherever it leads, but especially in gaining a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. Welcome to Teacher in Zion Podcast. This is Doug, a.k.a. Teacher in Zion, and this is episode 24 entitled, The Rest of the Story. When I was a child, my father regularly listened to a radio program called The Rest of the Story, which was hosted by Paul Harvey. The broadcast consisted of stories presented as little-known facts on a variety of subjects, but with a key element of the story held back until the end. The show would always conclude with the tagline, And now you know the rest of the story. For today's episode, I would like to return to a subject previously discussed in episode 14, which was entitled, Jesus Said, Ask Him Who I Am. The subject of that episode was the Godhead, with a particular focus on Christ. The subject of the Godhead has been on my mind a lot this week. There is so much more that can be explored on that topic. What I'm about to share certainly won't be the entirety of the rest of the story, because I can only share what I was shown. For the rest of the story, we will ultimately have to go to God, and it may very well be that we will end up spending eternity probing the depths of his nature. But I do hope that the additional information shared in this episode will help begin to fill in some important gaps left from the previous episode, which will show aspects of both the triune nature of God as well as his oneness. The subject of who Jesus is, being the Son of God, and yet also God in the flesh, can be controversial. This much is obvious. When I began asking the Lord about the nature of the Godhead all those years ago, my motivation for doing so was that certain men in the church were contending over the topic at that time. I did not want to add to the confusion, and I wasn't seeking to be vindicated for any view of my own. In the previous episode, I shared quite a lot about what the Book of Mormon had to say on the topic. I believe that record may have more to say on the subject than the Bible itself. Even so, many Christians have managed to come to the belief, from the Bible alone, that Jesus is God, who came in the flesh. However, we should also acknowledge that Jesus, in many places, spoke about his Father in heaven, who we are to pray to in his name. We cannot simply ignore those verses. We can find scriptures that support both of these views. So how do we reconcile them? It has been on my mind to revisit this topic and share additional information I received from that revelation all those years ago. In doing so, I hope to better round out the discussion and reveal a broader picture of how both of these views can be true. So how can God be both three and one? A quintessential truth about the Godhead that we must acknowledge, if we want to have any hope of beginning to understand it, is that it is a paradox. A paradox is defined as a seemingly absurd or self-contradictory statement 
or proposition that, when investigated or explained, may prove to be well-founded or true. Science, and in particular quantum mechanics and the general theory of relativity, have encountered a number of paradoxes. It is hard to wrap our heads around paradoxes because they involve contradictory ideas or laws that shouldn't be able to exist at the same time, and yet they do. We have observed them. The very elements of creation are themselves a shadow of spiritual things. So, if there are paradoxes in nature, then there must indeed be paradoxes in the spiritual realm. Jesus is both the Son of God, but he is also God. And how can that be? The scriptures tell us that there are no other gods besides the Lord, that there is only one God. If this is true, and we know that it is, then neither can there be three gods. Yet we are told that there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, which is one God. That statement in itself reveals a paradox. And this is partially why, I believe, the Lord told me that it was impossible for the mind of fallen man to fully comprehend it. Even so, as I approached the topic with him on a number of occasions, he seemed to be showing me that he could, indeed, lift our minds sufficiently to at least reveal it in part. Again, I was made aware of the fact that a true understanding will not be given to those who would use that knowledge to contend with others about it. Contention is of the devil. Those who contend over the Godhead do not have the Spirit of God with them, and it is impossible for them to understand the truth. Even if there are truths to their argument, they do not have a real understanding. Remember, even Satan uses truth, and he will quote the scriptures. When I went to the Lord about this topic nearly 15 years ago, he showed me an image in my mind to help explain. The image was that of a Venn diagram. At the time, I wasn't very familiar with the idea of Venn diagrams, but since that time, I have seen them show up regularly on social media and in other presentations. If you watch this episode from the YouTube channel, you will be able to see this Venn diagram with all the labels as the Lord revealed it to me. If you're listening to the audio version of this podcast and you would like to see the visual aids, you can stop here and switch over to my YouTube channel and watch it from there. I will include a link to the video in the podcast episode description. Or you can simply go to YouTube and type the word teacher and then put a space and then type in Zion as one word with no spaces between. You should find the YouTube channel, which has the icon of a tree. If you're not able to go to the YouTube channel, do your best to picture a Venn diagram which has three circles that are interlinked and overlap one another. One circle is on top, and the other two are in the lower left and lower right-hand corner. Then imagine a greater circle that encompasses all three of the inner circles, while also touching each of the three circles. If you can picture that in your mind, then place a number within each of the three inner circles. One in the top circle, the number two in the lower left, the number three in the lower right. Here we have three inner circles representing the Trinity. 
These are the three manifestations of God. In Genesis, we are told that man was created in the image of God. We are also told from our scriptures that God made man from the dust of the earth. That's one component. He then breathed his spirit into man. That's the second component, which made the third component when man became a living soul. This may be a new thought for some of you. You may need to get a revelation of it to fully see it. But the third component, the soul, is not simply the combination of the first two components. Rather, the spirit and the body make possible the soul, as the soul is really something greater than the sum of its parts. It is the combination of the spirit and flesh that allows there to be a veil that protects our agency and allows us to make choices. The spirit that came from God is perfect. It knows God, and it knows our mission. It remembers the pre-existence. And encoded in the spirit of life that God breathed into us is the programming, if you will, or the knowledge of who we are intended to be. You might call it the purpose of our creation. It is what inspires us sometimes to fulfill this mission, if we will listen to it. We develop our souls as we grow up and learn, make choices, and experience the consequences of those choices. We develop our soul ultimately during the duration of our lifetime, and it becomes the very essence of who we are. So man, being made in the image of God, is also a triune being, or in other words, we are composed of three parts, and yet we are also simply one being, one person. So getting back to this Venn diagram of the Godhead, in the topmost inner circle labeled number one, let's also label this Father. In circle number two, let's label that Son. In the third circle, label it Holy Spirit. In this Venn diagram, if we've drawn it correctly, you will notice that there are considerable portions of each of these three components of God that are indeed separate and outside of the other two components. This is why it is possible for the sun to come down and walk among us, suffer temptation, and be crucified. This was the job of the sun that he had to take on to perform. It was his role to fulfill, and not the role of the Holy Spirit for example, to be crucified. At the same time, you can also see that each of the three inner circles also intersect and overlap in certain areas. There are areas where the Son and the Holy Spirit overlap. There are areas where the Father and the Son overlap. And there are areas where all three overlap. Now, if we draw the outer circle that encompasses all three inner circles, if you label the upper left-hand quadrant as number four, the upper right-hand quadrant as number five, and the lower quadrant as number six, then label the inter-intersecting parts between the three circles in the mid to upper left-hand area, number seven, mid to upper right-hand area, number eight, and lower mid area can be labeled nine. Finally, in the very center, in the place where all of these circles intersect, forming a triangle at the very core, we can put the number 10, 10 different sections. Now, if you look up the meaning of the number 10 in the Bible, 
you will see articles telling you quite a bit about this number. 10 indicates God's authority, his completeness. It represents order and divine perfection. Well, that fits pretty good with this Venn diagram. The number 10 is mentioned 242 times in the Bible, and it also indicates union or collection in Judaism. In another article I read, it said that rabbis also regard the number 10 as a cohesive system of smaller parts that combine to create something whole. This belief is why many rabbis regard the number 10 to indicate holiness and a resting place for God's presence, or the Shekinah glory. In Genesis, God created 10 things on the first day of creation and 10 things on the sixth day of creation, declaring that it was good. We have a 10% tithing law in the Old Testament. There are 10 commandments that he gave to Moses, the 10 plagues upon Egypt, 10 times in the gospel according to John, where Jesus said, I am. Jesus uses the number 10 in a number of his parables, including the 10 virgins. There are then the 10 lost tribes of Israel that God has promised to restore, and I could go on. So getting back to our Venn diagram, I was shown that this outer circle and everything within it is God. And there is only one God. The three components within it are not three separate people or beings, but they are three separate components, or rather manifestations of God. We know that Jesus is God. The title page of the Book of Mormon tells us that the purpose of the Book of Mormon is to be a witness to Jew, Gentile, and Lamanite that, quote, Jesus is the Christ, the eternal God, end quote. The Father is also God, as is the Holy Spirit. These three are one God. So God is able to manifest himself to us in any of these three ways. Each of these three manifestations has its own individual role and purpose in our lives. Just a quick side note here, and something that I just now realized. Since there's ten distinct areas on this Venn diagram, if you take out three for the Holy Trinity... That leaves seven distinct spaces. Ten minus three is seven. The seven spirits of God mentioned in the Bible in multiple places. What do you think? In the previous podcast, I had used the example of our own earthly father. He had to wear different hats, depending on the role he needed to fulfill. To you, he was a father. To your mother, he was a husband. To his co-workers, he may have been their supervisor. If he was also in the priesthood, then he had a different role to play with the church, perhaps as an elder or a priest or a teacher. And yet, regardless of what name or title he went by, he was only one man, even as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are but one God. God has many facets to him. He is both male and female attributes. That is why the scriptures tell us that he made man in his image, but it also says that he made man, male and female. God himself is not a man, and we should not think of him as a man, except in the personage of Jesus Christ. For God poured himself into a body of flesh and blood to take on the role of the Son. And as Abinadi in the book of Jacob explains, God himself was to take upon himself flesh and blood, and because of the flesh, he would be called the Son of God. 
but it then also makes that statement that he is also both the father and the son, which is in agreement with what the book of Ether says. And there we have the paradox again. That's why we tend to scratch our head at these statements, because God himself is a paradox. We cannot easily understand it. In fact, I was told by the Spirit that it is impossible for the mind of fallen man to truly comprehend it. However, the Holy Spirit can help us to catch a glimpse or understand in part. Hence, the purpose for the Venn diagram that he drew for me in my mind, that I could receive at least a partial understanding. And I would say that is probably the best description of what I have received with his help, is a partial understanding. The fact that it is a paradox not only makes it difficult for us to fully understand, but the fact that a paradox even exists in the first place likely reveals that this is an aspect to God that we can truly only begin to see after we are transformed in the resurrection and enter in the very midst of eternity. For now, we can understand or comprehend that paradoxes do occur and do exist. Without assistance from God, all we can do is try to comprehend it theoretically. We can study it. We can theorize on it. We can look at a diagram, and we can kind of understand on some grade school level. But in our current state, we are bound to have some difficulty fully wrapping our mind around it, and that's okay. When you look at the Venn diagram, you can see almost every scripture that has ever been written regarding the Godhead. We can see here, represented by the outer circle, that there is just one God. And we can see that within the being of God himself... There are three portions, or three roles, or three manifestations of God. We can also see in the overlapping areas how the Son is in the Father, and the Father is in the Son. But we can also see that the Father is the Son, and the Son the Father. And the Father and the Son are a part of the Holy Ghost. And we can see how the Holy Ghost is part of them, and yet also able to witness separately of the Father and the Son. You can see how the Holy Spirit is also the Spirit of Christ, which we read about in the Book of Mormon, which is given to man in order to know right from wrong. The disciples did not want Jesus to leave them, and yet it was necessary for Jesus to go, because God, in bodily form, could only be with a limited number of people at a time. And he also remained as an external interaction with God, which was limited by the weakness of their language, and sometimes they were confused. I'm convinced, though, that when the Holy Spirit was given to them at Pentecost, it was not something alien to them in terms of how it felt. But I'm utterly convinced that the disciples finally understood in that moment why Jesus had to go. That the Spirit that they received that day was the very same spirit they felt as Jesus walked among them every day for three years of his ministry. What they received when they received the gift of the Holy Spirit was Christ in them. Now they would always have him with them, inside of them. And in this form, God was able to communicate to them in a way that would alleviate much of the confusion they often felt when truth had to be communicated through words. This communication with his spirit would not only feed their mind, but also their heart, that they might truly comprehend and be empowered and changed from within. 
The more we contemplate the very nature of God, especially his eternal nature, and begin to comprehend and be changed by the presence of eternity in our midst, the more we become lifted out of this fallen state and begin to taste heavenly things, the more we are able to behold him and begin to see him as he truly is, the more we are transformed. These are heavenly contemplations, and the very nature of God, when beheld and meditated upon, can change us from within. With the help of the Holy Spirit, as we begin to comprehend, at least on some level, who God is, it's a work of transformation within our soul. For me, it was an important step in my own spiritual journey to finally understand that God did not simply send someone else to pay the price for my sins, but to know that he himself paid the terrible price. This is a knowledge so precious and heartbreaking to me that it was truly transformative. But we are, each of us, on our own journey with the Lord and in need of different truths and understandings at different points in our walk. Our needs are not all the same. And for that reason, I wanted to revisit this topic with you because it is important to understand that God does manifest himself in these three ways for a purpose. Something I was shown is that it is important for some people, regardless of what stage of development they are in, to be able to see the Son of God as someone separate from the Father. This is not a sign of spiritual immaturity. We are all at different levels in many different areas of understanding. One person may be at a high school or a college level of understanding in one area, while I may be at a kindergarten level whereas I may be at a higher level than some in some other area of understanding. Regardless of where we are, it is important to God that we be given what we need at this particular stage of our relationship with him, that we may grow. And this is why we should never contend, but have compassion for one another, however we see the Godhead. For someone to say that Jesus is different and something separate from the Father is absolutely a truth. Just look at the Venn diagram again. And yet it is also true if we see that the Son is in the Father and the Father is in the Son. Or we may come to see as we look at the entire thing enveloped within the larger circle that this is just one God who is manifesting himself to us in three ways. And all of these things can be true, and also appear to be contradictory to us. Hence, a paradox. A paradox indicates a mystery, not a reason to argue. And one of the reasons why I wanted to touch upon this topic once more, is that for some people, it is critical in their walk that they can see Jesus as being separate from the Father, or the Son of God, because the Father, or God as they may call him, can be a frightening thing for people. He is, after all, perfect and without sin, and the scriptures say that he cannot tolerate the least degree of sin. We know we will one day be judged by God, and that can be a frightening thought. Knowing from the stories of Jesus that he is compassionate and forgiving, and that he will be our advocate at the judgment, brings us comfort. I want you to think for a moment on what the Israelites saw when they were at Mount Sinai. There was a dark cloud of vapor and smoke that covered the mountain, and lightning and thunder coming out of it. 
and the earth was quaking beneath their feet. I saw what this was like in a vision, and it was truly terrifying and also glorious to behold. It shook me to my very core, and it frightened them. The scriptures tell us that no man can see the fullness of God and live. We must be made holy and righteous, or we cannot abide his presence, for he is a consuming fire. For many, it is a difficult and frightening proposition to come into the presence of the Almighty. And it is for this reason that God took upon himself flesh and blood, that we would see someone not entirely unlike ourselves, someone who suffered temptation, felt sadness and joy. We see that Jesus wept at the tomb of his friend. He battled with doubt in the garden. But above all, Contrary to the harshness of the law, he showed compassion. He was kind even to sinners. So long as they didn't vainly think of themselves as holy and righteous, he forgave them. We see him as the Savior walking on the water, calling on us to step out of the boat, but also know that he will be there to grab hold of our hand and lift us up when we fail. And this is one of the reasons that some must see him as a separate person from his Father. And this is something that touches my heart deeply. It is one of the reasons I felt compelled to visit the subject, because we need to refrain from arguing about such matters. It is not essential to our salvation, or part of the requirement of the doctrine of Christ, that we must all see eye to eye on this particular topic. So however we wish to view Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, It is necessary that we be allowed to view him according to where we are in our walk with him, so that we can receive God on whatever level that allows us to be less fearful of him, that we can come into fellowship with him. If Jesus must simply be the Son of God for men to receive him, so that we can view him as our advocate to the Father, we are free to do so. And the scriptures will reveal that side of him to you. It's not a fable. It is the truth. You're not in error for believing that. It is entirely true that he is the Son of God. At the same time, there are those of us who will look at scriptures, like in the book of Ether, where the brother of Jared sees the finger of God touching the stones to make them light up. It is the very same finger that wrote upon the stone tablets for Moses. And it frightened the brother of Jared so much that he fell to the ground, fearing that God would smite him for seeing his finger. When God asked him why he had fallen to the ground, the brother of Jared confessed that he had never supposed that God had a body of flesh. God then revealed his whole body to him, and told him that because of his great faith, he was now able to see that he, God, would take upon himself a body of flesh and blood, And then he tells him, I am Jesus Christ, I am the Father and the Son. And because the brother of Jared knew this, God told him that he was now redeemed from the fall. What a statement. So, is Jesus separate entirely from the Father? The answer is both yes and no. He is a paradox. But this we know from the scriptures. We are told under no uncertain terms that there is but one God, not many, and not even three gods. And he manifests himself to man in three different ways, with each of those manifestations serving its own unique purpose and its own unique role in our lives. 
as we mature and grow ourselves, our view of the Godhead may also change. And when we shed our corruptible bodies and put on incorruption, we will surely continue to grow and expand in our understanding regarding the very nature of God. The paradox of the Godhead cannot be fully comprehended by us in our present state. God is not constrained by human limitations. He is able to listen to each and every single one of us and give his full attention to millions of people simultaneously. And yet, his attention is not divided. He is never distracted, nor can we ever stretch his capabilities. He is able to give each one of us his full, undivided attention, as if we were the only person in the universe. How can God give us his undivided attention while doing the same for everyone else? It's a paradox. What is impossible for man is not impossible for God. He is everywhere at once. He knows all things. He comprehends all things. He is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit simultaneously. He is all those things in one eternal being that has no beginning or end. Thank you for taking time out of your day to join me. If you have questions or comments, feel free to email me at teacherinzion at gmail.com. Until next time, God bless. Join us for discussion in our Facebook group, facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash hope of Zion or at our YouTube channel, Teacher in Zion. That's the word teacher, space, and in Zion spelled as one word. My books can be found at amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Douglas Hatton. That's H-A-T, like a hat on your head. T-E-N, like the number 10. Until next time.